Good evening. We serve an incredible God. He's so gracious to us and he knows exactly what we need when we need it. And I needed steak today. <laughs> Here's good. Would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word this evening and turn to the Gospel of John? We'll be reading verses 20 through 24. Our Savior has come to a well in Samaria, and He has been speaking to a Samaritan woman, and we'll begin with um, her reply in verse 20, and we'll read to verse 24. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. This evening I'd like to preach to you on this message, Missions, the command to search out and call worshipers. Missions, the command to search out and call worshipers. Let's pray. Almighty God, King of heaven and earth, we're humbled by who you are. When we think of your magnitude, there are no words truly to describe your wonder and your greatness and how you choose in your benevolence to love us. And so we ask, Lord God, tonight that through the gift of your word that you would speak to us. And I pray, Lord God, that you'd help me as I preach tonight. I pray, Lord God, that you would use me, and I pray that your power of your Holy Spirit would work in lives and hearts tonight. I pray that lives would be changed. They would be convicted tonight of your justice, your righteousness, judgment of sin. I pray that we'd be changed. Pray that we will know that we have met with you tonight. Humble me before you and exalt your name. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. The first church that the Lord allowed us to establish in Kathmandu is in an in a area of Kathmandu called Swayambhunath. And Swayambhunath is... Um, a, Majorly, it's a, it's a Buddhist area. There's the world's largest Buddhist complex. A whole mountain is surrounded there. Um, and at the top of that mountain, there's a Buddhist temple and with the blind eyes of Buddha painted on the side. And opposite to that mountain is another mountain. And I can't tell you how many times we've climbed up that side of that mountain and witnessing to people. And along the side of that mountain, about 
quarter of the way up, there's, there's a water spout, there's a well. And the ladies in that area come there early in the morning and the evening to get water. Similar to the lady here in our text, only the lady in our text here, she comes in the middle of the day. There's a young lady and her sisters. They used to come to that well in Swayambunat, and they would come there in the morning and the evening. And I had the pleasure, along with my associate pastor and Sobit and another lady of our church, invited us to come and meet her and her sisters. The lady's name is Ashmita. And the very first time we met her, she was cowering in a corner. She was scratching herself, scratching herself and pulling at her hair and mumbling things, inaudible things. She is possessed of a demon. Complete torture. Lost and in spiritual darkness. True spiritual darkness. We preached to her, we talked to her, shared the gospel. And Brother Sobeat, he brought out this passage. And he began to read it to her. And something clicked. Like a little light came on. She gave attention. See, she was not worshiping her creator in spirit and truth. She was bound by another spirit. A spirit that is, is equally real and was equally in control of her life. Question tonight. For what reason did God create mankind? What is he searching for? Well, some have falsely taught that he, it was for a need for companionship or to fulfill something that God was lacking and that man could supply. This could not be further from the truth. God has never been, is not, and will never be lacking for anything. The Apostle Paul accurately declared in Acts chapter 17... God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, not like the temple in Swayambunat, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. God created man out of his abundance, the triune God of heaven is content in himself, eternally existent in love and power, self-content. So the question remains, why did God create you and me? The book of Isaiah has an answer for us. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1, the prophet wrote through the power of the Holy Spirit, but down, thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by name. Thou art mine. I'm his. 
And if you've entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you accepted his payment on Calvary's cross for your sins, you can say that you are his as well. What an incredible promise. You say, but that is for Israel. You might say, what does that have to do with me? Remember, we are joint heirs of Jesus Christ. Even though we were wild branches, as it says in the book of Romans, we have been grafted into the original tree. The promise of redemption in Jesus Christ is ours as well. We belong to God. Later on in that chapter in Isaiah 43 verse 7, the prophet declares, Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for what? For my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. You were made for God's glory. That's your purpose. That's why you're here. That's why you're breathing That's why you serve him. That's why we have missions. When man sinned in the garden from that point on, that purpose was broken. It was distorted. Sin, when broken down to its most basic level, is a breaking of purpose. The purpose for which our creator creator created us. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was sent to this world to make a way for that purpose to be restored. And I'm so thankful for that. I have an answer for life's, one of those life's deepest questions. Why am I here? I have purpose. I have meaning. In Jesus Christ, we can be made to glorify our creator again so that we can live with him for all eternity. I know these are pretty basic principles. But this lays the foundation for our work in missions. And it's important. You see, over the course of fundamental Baptist church history in America, we have slowly begun to see a divergence from a God-centered Christianity to a man-centered one. It's basically boiling down the idea that God exists in heaven to bring us joy. That he exists for us and not we for him. And missions becomes more about saving our fellow sinners from their deserved fate than it does about God receiving worship that he deserves from his most valuable creation, whom he loves dearly and made in his own image. Deserved fate. Hell is our deserved fate. Hell is a righteous judgment. We're not being saved from a mean and a horrible, vindictive God. No, we're being saved from righteous judgment. The God that existed and has existed for all eternity, uncreated, has been blasphemed by us. We're deserving of hell. And I think that we need to let that set in. That God is not a bad God. Sending good people to hell. No, he is a righteous God, a holy God. 
a thrice holy God that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, who dwells in the high and holy place. And if he sends us to hell, it's righteous. But in his benevolence and in his great love, he's provided us a way of escape. And not just a way of escape, but of a way that our life can bring glory and honor to him. We're in danger of changing the message of the gospel, which we have no right to change. You see, an effort to save our fellow men, if we are not careful, we will embrace the spirit of pragmatism that says whatever it takes for them to come. And here we are willing as long as it works. Even if it means changing the message of the gospel to exclude, one must repent from sin to become a true worshiper of God. The end of... The end of that road, the end of the road of man-centered Christianity is a distorted and deluded gospel. And we do not have the authority to change the message of the gospel. We don't have that authority. The message of the gospel has rung out through the ages, all throughout the Old Testament. The message of repentance from sin and turning to God's grace is loud and clear. The first missionary of the New Testament, John the Baptist, proclaimed that message loud and clear. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in his very first message in Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17 said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was saying, I am coming to establish my kingdom on this earth. If you were to think about it in this way, if, if you were to think about all of the Seattle metro area, all of Puyallup, to be being surrounded by a formidable army, an army that could not be uh, fought against, that there was no way that you could win. You knew that if you fought against them that you'd be slaughtered. What would you do? You'd send forth ambassadors to find out conditions for peace. Jesus said, there's an informidable army coming, and it's mine. The king of the universe is coming. And these are my conditions. I want to live peace with, peaceably with you. I want to love you. I want to rule and reign with you in peace. But repent. He's not like other rulers and tyrants. He came in love. He came as a redeemer. He came as savior. But he will return as king. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is his message. Now for a brief moment, we'll pull back the curtain of time and gaze into what I believe to be one of the greatest examples of evangelism that we can see in all of scripture. The scene is near a well formerly owned by the patriarch Jacob of Israel, the namesake of the Israeli people. It's noon. It's the sixth hour of the day of the Jewish time schedule, not the most opportune time to be carrying water. Like I said earlier in Nepal, the ladies still go to the wells in the morning and the evening. Many of the places, even in the capital city, still don't have running water. And they avoid carrying their heavy load in the heat of the day. Jesus is weary from his journey. 
Maybe he wipes his brow. He stops and rests at the well. He's thirsty. He's tired. Yes, but there's more to it than that. In his omniscience, he knows that there's someone coming to the well for water. He knows how thirsty you are. He knows where your need is. He knows that you would be here tonight. And after some time, along she comes. She's broken in heart and in spirit. Maybe not able to visibly see on the outside. And he asks her for a drink of water. The woman is surprised that a Jew would ask her, a Samaritan woman, for water. The Jews were to have no dealings with the, or the Jews were to have no dealings with the Samaritans. In Nepal, the situation is very similar. There's a caste system in place where the higher caste people will not even take a glass of water from a lower caste person. I've seen this time and time again. And like I shared with you all earlier this morning in Sunday school class, or one of our pastors at the in Nepal, he. He comes from a lower caste family, and God has used him in an incredible way to reach a people that never would even take a glass of water from him. He's disarmed them with his humility. Jesus disarms her with his humility. Jesus was the only person that ever lived that could honestly say he was on a different level than everyone else. But he did not even do that. We as missionaries, whether we are going across the sea or we're knocking on doors in our neighborhoods here back home, must be purposeful to avoid a false sense of superiority. Remember our righteousness is not our own. It's God's that has been given to us. And the ground at the foot of the cross is is level. That person that comes to the door that we meet, or that person that we meet on the street in a third world country, is precious in the eyes of God. And He has given them His image. They are image bearers of our King. We are the image bearers of God. Created perfectly and wonderfully in his image. And Jesus makes a terrific claim. He tells the lady, he says, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give to me drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee water. And I can almost see the lady's eyes roll. In verse 11, she says, sir, (laughs) thou hast nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? (laughs) Art thou greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Come on. Her eyes are on the physical world. 
and the physical answers, like most of us. That's where we go to. The things that we can touch, the things that we can see, well, that's worth trusting, right? Jesus patiently explains more. Verse 13, he says, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And like most of us, her answer is still about the here and now. The physical need, not understanding the spiritual implications. She says, well, sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And she'd been coming in the heat of the day, avoiding the scorn and the looks of other people. And she says, I don't have to come here to get this water again. That'd be great. That'd solve all my physical needs. So Jesus methodically yet kindly begins to take off the veneer of the physical barriers that she keeps putting up to get to the heart of the matter. So many people in coming to Jesus this, these days, that's, that's right where they're at. There's a lot of people who come into the doors of our churches in Nepal and they're looking for physical needs. They want food, they want shelter, they want healing. And they know that Christians are going to give and be benevolent. And I don't, I don't see anything wrong with it. I love the fact that people come. And I love the fact that they see that we're benevolent, we're giving, and we're loving. But it takes time to get past that. For them to see beyond their physical things and understand the spiritual implications of what they truly need. He says to her in verse 16, Go call thy husband and come hither. <laughs> the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou hast, he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. He knows his audience and reveals to her that he knows her sin. You say, Brother Joel, what are you getting at here? I'm not Jesus. And when I go to witness to someone, I don't know their innermost thoughts. I don't know what's going on in their mind and their heart. I don't know what they did. Five minutes ago, let alone 20 years ago. You're right, only God can do that. And I'm not advocating for lifestyle evangelism. I'm not saying that you have to know everything about, about a person before you can give them the gospel. But I am saying this, see the questioner before you hear the question. There's a lot of questioners out there. There's a lot of doubters, a lot of naysayers, a lot of scoffers. And maybe the things that they'll say will cut to the quick. 
That's when we have to revert back and we have to say, there's a person behind that. Allow ourselves to see the questioner before we hear the question and before we respond back. So how do you show someone their heart if you're not Jesus? This. It's right here. Hold up the mirror of God's law that is already written on their heart. You see, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24 instructs us, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. This is our schoolmaster. It instructs us. It teaches us what's here. And in Romans chapter 2, it reveals, revealed to us in verses 14 and 15, for when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves which shew the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. The law is written here. It's right here. It's written on the heart of the Buddhist. It's written on the heart of the Muslim. It's written on the heart of the Gnostic. It's written on the heart of the Hindu. It's written on the heart of the professing Christian. It's right here. And when we do the, by nature the things which in the, are in the law and or we break the law, it condemns us before God because we know what's right and we know what's wrong. The lady halts for a moment after Jesus reveals to her that he knows her. Looking to Jesus, realizing, realizing that he's not who she thought he might be. Realizing that he must be a prophet come from God. What does she do? She goes, she defaults. She reverts back to the physical. And this time to geography. Man's bent towards working our way to salvation is so deeply rooted. Man, it's ingrained deep in us. Ever since Babel, men have been looking to geographical locations, man-made places as stepping stones for salvation. The Muslims have Mecca, one of the most prominent pilgrimage sites for Hindus and Buddhists is a place in the Nepali Himalayas called Muktinath. Pilgrims will begin their journey, and I walk the same route with them. I wore shoes. And it hurt. We walked with my daughter and with my son. We went, we went from Beishi Sahar starting at approximately 4,000 feet. And we walked 12 days to Muktinath. Summoning before you get to Muktinath, you cross the Thorang La Pass. It's the highest navigable pass in the world. Over 17,000 feet. And people will walk this barefoot. To descend on the other side of the pass to a place called Muktinath, and it's above timberline. 
think the elevation at Muktinath is somewhere between 12 to 13,000 feet. And there they're walking barefoot up to this, this temple, many, many steps to the top. Muktinath means the place of salvation, only to find none. And to return emptier than when they came. Men cling to geographical locations. The Samaritan woman was no different. She says in verse 20, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus is so patient. Yet again, he brings back her back to the crooks of the matter. And he says, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. He is saying to her, it's not about your or my ethnicity. It's not about the location or the condition of our birth or our place of worship. The Father is looking for true worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And that time is now. If you were to walk down the line of things that they were supposed to be doing in their worship, ritualistically, I think that she probably could check almost every box. We have a lot of religious boxes that we can check to make sure that our spiritual barometer is in the right place. Our spiritual temperature is on par. Well, I've done this. I've done that. I look the part. I speak the part. I'm present when I'm supposed to be. We get all the boxes check, check, check. And we forget it's supposed to be in spirit and in truth. The Father's looking for true worshipers, and that time is now. The sword of the word has pierced through the physical facade. And she replies, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. See, she reveals she's a seeker. She's looking. Maybe you're looking tonight. Maybe you've been going to the wells of this world for all your satisfaction and you've been coming up dry. Maybe all your religious boxes are checked. Maybe even going to the right place but you're spiritually dry. She reveals she's a seeker. And then he says to her this, and 
man, I would have loved to see the expression on her face. I that speak unto thee am he. I'm that Messiah that you've been looking for. I'm that living water. You've been looking for it in all the wrong places. You've been looking for it in relationships and in religion, in false friendships, false hopes. I am he. And so she's wonderfully saved. And she becomes one of, the, one of the boldest witnesses that we see in the Gospels. I mean, she's telling everybody what Jesus did for her and what he knew about her. Her life is changed. You see, the final blow that hit her at the core boils down to this. Your creator is looking for true worshipers. And at this time, and at this point... That is not you. Maybe we should ask that same question. Your creator's looking for true worshipers. That's why he made us. That's why we have missions. Because the God of heaven is at this very point and at this present time. In all countries, by all tribes and by all tongues being blasphemed and dishonored all over this world. But yet he is worthy of worship. And he's proven it time and time and time again. And the question is, when will we come to the point where we say, I'll serve him, not because of what I get out of it, but I'll serve him because he is worthy to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. And I'll give my whole life to him because he is worthy. And that is what we are called to as missionaries. We are not just called to save people from the fire, although we with great fervor and hope pursue that goal as well. In our video in Jude chapter 23, it says, we put that verse up there for a purpose, and some having compassion making a difference, and others save with fear pulling them out of the fire. There's some loved ones, there's some neighbors, there's some people at the grocery store, there's some people at your place of work, there's people, 31 million of them in Nepal. One million Muslims in Nepal, not one gospel witness working with them. They need more laborers. They need more people that have compassion. But every time you go out on visitation, whenever you send out a missionary or whenever you go as a missionary to the U.S. or abroad, we go with the purpose to seek out and to call more worshipers of our blessed King Jesus. It's all about Him. Every single action is about Him. It's not about building a kingdom for ourselves. It's not about building a name for ourselves. It's not about the numbers. It's not about that. It's about him. For at the day he's seeking to be worshipped in spirit and truth, and he is worthy of such. He continued to share the gospel with Ashmita. 
week after week, we'd go to her house and walk through with her who her creator is and share the gospel with her, creation to salvation. Four or five weeks in, she comes to church service carrying the Bible that Miss Rita had given her. And inside her Bible was a little note that she had written to her Savior, Savior, confessing her faith in Him and asking, her, asking Him to save her, deliver her from her sin. Just before that, she had taken the idols of the tribal deity that she had worshipped and that had possessed her and said that he would kill her and would drive her down into this dark little puja room, worship room that she had had the idols in. And her and Miss Sarita had a bonfire. They burned those idols. If you saw our video, there was a picture of a girl and two girls together. One was Miss Sarita. One was Ashmita, smiling. She's in her right mind. She's changed. You know what she's doing now? As a couple of weeks ago, I talked to Brother Sobeat on the phone. She's discipling another young lady. That's in was in the similar circumstance that she's in. Her name is Samzana. Samzana means remembrance. So maybe you'll remember Samzana in prayer. Maybe she'll be saved just like Ashmita was and become a true worshiper of God in spirit and in truth. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, there's so many things that we can do, so many check boxes that we can check and say, I've got this down, I've got this down, I'm this way and I'm that way. But the real question that we ask for the real question, and the real purpose for which you have made us is that we would worship you in spirit and in truth, honestly before you, for who you are, not who we want to make you to be. And I pray, Lord God, that you would drive us to our knees each and every day, seeking to be who you want us to be, seeking to walk with you, and that we would go forth as ambassadors of Christ, seeking out more worshipers, not just check boxes, not just people to dunk, Lord God, the true worshipers of a holy God. For that is what you are worthy of, that you might reap the reward of your sacrifice amongst the nations of this world. Pray that you be with this time, remaining service. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Pastor, you come. Let's all stand tonight.